strange yet beautiful event that took place on December 4th of that year at the 23rd Street Armory, right here in our backyard in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. 400 musicians gathered to perform Symphony for a Broken Orchestra by David Lang. That orchestra included amateurs and professionals and even members of the famed Philadelphia Orchestra itself. The youngest performer was a nine-year-old cellist, the oldest an 82-year-old oboe player. It's likely the most diverse orchestra ever constructed in the history of America. Those 400 musicians brought with them broken instruments, a trumpet held together by Blue Painter's State, a violin with no A string, a bow that had lost most of its hair, a cello that was carried in multiple pieces, all because the funding was cut for local school music programs. Many of the instruments that the schools had just fell into, fell into disrepair, but despite their condition, they still made sweet yet very unconventional music. That trumpet might not be capable of making a sound, but the keys could tap in rhythm. The scraping of a bow over the silhouette of a violin body added a unique sound to the mix. At one point, it was recalled that a cellist made noise simply by, by turning a stringless peg. As the symphony went on for some 40 minutes, those instruments were brought to life and joyful, playful music was made. The writer told how the performance, once it eventually began to wind down, each section bowed out one at a time until all that remained was the humble squeal of as I read that this week, I thought, this is a beautifully perfect picture of the church. It's a beautiful picture of the church. A mixed bag of broken instruments that God has called together to create a beautiful symphony for his glory. And I think that's the very thing that the Apostle Paul is emphasizing here in our passage that suddenly just read from 1 Corinthians 4. That there's immense beauty in the church as God created to display diversity within you. There's immense beauty in the church as God created it to display diversity within unity. And Paul is going to tease this out for us today. And he starts by giving us a theological underpinning, a theological ground. Ultimately, where do we see diversity in unity displayed? It's in God, it's in the God. It's in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. Second, he's going to show us what diversity and unity looks like in the nitty-gritty of the life and the body of Christ, the church, by using a picture of, and we can only expect him to use this picture, a body. That we might see how all the members, though they are individuals, are nonetheless one, unless they need and they depend upon Finally, I want us to take some time just to think about this practically for us here at PCKS. What does diversity and unity look like in this church? As God has placed us in this town, in this community, how are we to minister the gospel here? There's immense beauty in the church as God's created or displayed diversity and unity. Let's start by looking at verses 4 through 7. Now there are varieties of gifts of the same Spirit, 
And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but the same God, who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So let's just quickly start by saying something about why Paul is writing to the Corinthians. And we'll just stay in this section of the letter that we're in. So from, from chapters 11 to 14, Paul is addressing a series of problems that have come to his attention related to worship in the Corinthian church. In each case, what I think that we see is a spirit of independence. Certain folks in the church seem to have been elevating themselves above others in the church. There wasn't a sense of unity. There wasn't a sense of focus for the common good, as Paul writes about. It seemed to be replaced by what was good for specific groups and specific individuals. So here in chapter 12, Paul's correction has to do with how spiritual gifts were being used in worship, specifically the spiritual gift of, of tongues. And Paul talks about that later, later in the letter. But as Sonia read the chapter for us, what I hope that we saw was that Paul's emphasis here is actually not really on the gifts themselves, but on the Spirit of God who manifests these gifts in the lives of believers in order to display through the church the diverse ways in which God's goodness and grace are on display in the body of Christ. And how that very same Spirit that unites us when we profess faith in Jesus as our Lord and Savior how we're baptized into that same spirit, the spirit of God that unites all believers. So it's important that we see not only the context that Paul is writing into, but that in Paul's mind, all of this begins and ends with God, and how he is sovereignly and providentially working in and through his church. So notice, notice how what we just read, how Paul grounds everything in the Trinity. He says that there are a variety of gifts, this is what we're just talking about. Paul's talking about spiritual gifts, gifts given by God for the building up of the church. Every believer in Christ is gifted by the Spirit. And we might think about these almost like a, like a birthday present, like a gift given in love from God to us at our new birth in the Spirit. All Christians have gifts. Some may be more developed, some may be less developed, some more visible, some less visible, but they're there. As Paul says, there's a variety of gifts. They're not all the same, and that's intentional, and that's good. God has gifted each of us uniquely in such a way that we build up and support one another using the distinct gifts that he's provided. Precisely because we're not all the same. We're not all the same. So we depend on that. Notice what Paul says next. There's a variety of gifts Gifts, but there's not gifts. Gifts. But the same spirit. That joke went over like a <laughs> Same spirit. Not many spirits, not multiple spirits, one spirit. They all come from the one spirit of God. Next he goes on to say that there's varieties of services. Right? Ways in which we can serve one another, ways we can serve our neighbor, ways we serve God. This is an attitude that's cultivated by the Spirit. We're not here for our own sake. We're not here to merely be consumers to fill our bucket before we head out to another week. 
And I don't want you to get me wrong when I say that. I don't want you to mishear what I'm, what, I'm, what I'm getting at here. Church should be a place where we long to go when we are hurting, when we feel weak, when we feel beat down, which is probably most of us every week when we come in here to some extent. It's a place that should provide us with encouragement and refreshment as we hear the gospel and rehearse the gospel in our worship, knowing that when we trust in Jesus, we are forgiven. That his blood cleanses us from all sin. And that we now have an advocate in Jesus Christ, the righteous, that no matter what the world thinks of us, no matter what we might think of ourselves, Jesus reminds us that we belong to him. And that does not change. So we want the church to rejuvenate us, but we need to emphasize really what we've already said, that the Holy Spirit has equipped us. He's equipped you. He's equipped you to be an agent of God's grace, that by the power of God that dwells within you, that you might serve others in word and deed, utilizing those gifts that he's provided. In the same way, we're not part of a church so that we have a platform really to just show off the talents and abilities that God's given us. It's not about drawing attention to ourselves, but serving one another serving our neighbors, and ultimately serving the Lord. Which is why it's only fitting that Paul associates these acts of service with the Lord Jesus Christ. When he says that there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. Reminding us that it was Jesus who, though he was God, humbled himself by becoming a servant. And that we, we are the beneficiaries of his humility. That from the womb to the tomb, Jesus gave his life as a ransom for many. And the Spirit cultivates that same attitude in the church, in the body of Christ, that the people of Jesus would follow in the steps of their Lord and servant. Finally, in these opening verses, Paul writes that there are varieties of activities, but the same God. And let's just pause so that we see clearly what Paul has done. Varieties of gifts, varieties of service, varieties of activities, but in all this variety, in all of this diversity, comes from a single source, our triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. And we see in our Bibles that Scripture teaches that God, in His divine character, mysteriously displays diversity within unity. There's one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, each in essence fully God, yet distinct in that the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father. We see diversity within unity in God. Our triune God has beautifully designed the church to reflect this same diversity and same unity through the gifts that are manifested by the Spirit. I like the way that this one commentator puts it when he says, God's going to work within Christians. And his work in the church is spilling out into the life of the community. The Spirit produces results, varied results, which can be noticed, changed lives, transformed relationships, increasing congregations, effective testimony, released talents. 
as each of these is energized by the Spirit, the Lordship of Jesus is demonstrated in as many diverse ways as there are people in whom the Spirit dwells. Hear that, hear that last part again. In each of these, as each of these is energized by the Spirit, the Lordship of Jesus is demonstrated in as many diverse ways as there are people in whom the Spirit dwells. And I think that's what the Apostle Paul points us to. Because he gives us these examples of diverse manifestations of the Spirit as he goes on to write about in verses 8 through 10. But here's the question that arises next, right? How does this translate to the church in the nitty-gritty of the everyday? If God in his divine character displays diversity within unity and has beautifully designed the church to display diversity within unity, how does this play itself out in the body of the Christ in the nitty-gritty? And Paul uses this illustration of the body to tease this out. Here's what he says in verses 14 to 20. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So as we start looking at this section, this, this anatomical illustration that Paul has, I, I want us to notice that Paul never forgets about this theological underpinning that he started with in verses 4 through 7. Though we're, we're now going to get into the nitty-gritty of stuff, how diversity and unity regarding giftings and people shape the local church, Paul always reminds us that this is not artificial. Right? This is not diversity for diversity's sake. It's not a human endeavor, so to speak. But it's rather God at work in and through the local church that the church might display diversity by design. So look how Paul emphasizes particular verbs in this section. He underlines God's sovereignty as he does this. Like how in verse 11 we read that it is the Spirit who appoints. It's the Spirit who appoints gifts to believers as he sees fit. He's in charge of them. Now in verse 18, we read that God is the one who arranges, God arranges the members of the body, each one as he chooses. Verse 24, God is the one who composed the body. Verse 28, God has appointed, God appointed various people in the church to various roles. God is, is in this, sovereignly apportioning and arranging and composing and appointing everyone in this church and every local church as we make up the universal body of Christ so that through our gifts and our community we would better reflect his beauty and his kingdom. God is in this. So this illustration that Paul uses of the human body, part of its benefit is it helps us to see Paul's stress that Unity in the body of Christ does not mean uniformity in the body of Christ. 
it doesn't mean that everyone is the same. Paul's illustration breaks really down into two parts. The first concerning our gifts, and the second concerning our community. We need to keep in mind that Paul is, is trying to correct errors in the Corinthian church. So it's likely that the Corinthians believed that uniformity had a lot of value, that uniformity represents some kind of true spirituality. And that's not the case. While we're united by the same spirit, as Paul says, that spirit empowers us in unique ways for gospel ministry. Listen to this other quote here. Where it says, The spirit must not be spiritualized. He operates in the body of the church. And his business there is to produce visible glory for God, which all who have eyes for reality. He intends to make himself felt and known through his gifts as well as by his fruit. Often the reason for a church's lack of credibility as a community of the Holy Spirit lies precisely here. Because many Christians do not or cannot manifest their distinctive gifts in the life of the local church. The rich variety of Christian community is thus hidden, and its corporate life appears to the outsider as dull instead of diverse and colorful. I just want to say, what, what that quote is saying, it's not that there's a hidden way that we access these gifts. I think what they're referring to in that quote is almost like a roadblock, where churches are hindering people from using the gifts that God has equipped them with in the gospel ministry of the church to the community and to one another. Isn't that what Paul is getting at here when he says, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. And if an ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. We read this text and hear this illustration, and it just seems silly to us. Because our natural response, I think, is what Paul intends the natural response to be. Well, that's just ridiculous. Of course you're part of the body. You're a, you're a different member. You have maybe a different role, but that doesn't make you any less valuable. Think of our own bodies. Now, some of our some of our members may not work as well as they used to. Or maybe they don't work like we had hoped. But hopefully, we recognize their value and how they contribute to our whole person. And that's what Paul's getting at here. That there's value in each member of the body of Christ for what they bring to the table. We need them. Not only because their gifts make up for where we lack, but without them, the beautiful diversity of Jesus' lordship and the lives of his people are dulled and hidden. You know, today we, we very much live in a, a celebrity church culture where it seems like if you don't have a recognized podcast or your pastor doesn't have hundreds of thousands of followers on social media or your praise team doesn't have an album on the Christian Top 100, you're really kind of a but I think what this celebrity culture has done, and it really goes back further than this, because Paul's letter to the Corinthians is, is kind of proof of that. What I think it does is creates this, this misleading hierarchy of spiritual gifts to where we believe that if we're not teaching or praying or singing or playing music, if our gifts don't have us standing in front of people, then we're left wondering, well, where do I belong? What's, what's my role? How do I contribute? Where do I, where do I fit? 
fact, I, I spoke with one of you a few weeks ago after hearing just the most wonderful story of this person's hospitality to another. I wanted to tell this individual just how encouraged and uplifted I was by hearing that story. And as I, I went to them, they said to me, you know, Jeremy, I'm not, I'm not gifted to be a friend. I can't, I can't teach or pray in public, but I show my faith by serving. And I don't think a lot of people understand that. I agree. I don't think a lot of people understand that. And I imagine that there are some of you here this morning that have asked that question to yourself about this church. Where, where do I fit? How can I contribute? Where's my, where's my spot? Where's my place? How can, I, how can I serve the body of Christ with the gifts that God has given me? And if that's you, I, I do encourage you to talk with one of the elders, talk with me, talk with Andrew about how that can change, because that needs to change. We are many members of one body, and we need the gifts that each other brings to the table. The second half of this illustration, Paul shifts gears a bit to focus on unity, not uniformity, as it comes to our community. So here's what he says in verses 21 to 27. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need for you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need for you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we will bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts we treat with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ. And individually members of it. So in this section, Paul transitions from saying that within the body of Christ there is no spiritual gifts that are more superior than others to emphasizing that there are no superior people in the body of Christ. The gospel of Jesus has put us all on equal footing. Since Jew and Greek, slave and free, we're all made to drink with one spirit. That is to say that regardless of who we are, where we come from or what sort of history we have, if we profess that Jesus is Lord, we have been baptized in the Spirit, as Paul says, and are thus placed on equal ground with one another as children of God. Coming back to this correction that we mentioned previously, how the Corinthians thought that you know uniformity was a mark of real spirituality. To follow, it's certain that you know, if people did not display certain gifts, for example, the gift of tongues that we were, we were mentioning, that they were somehow then lesser Christians or, or just lesser people. And so Paul begins to address here a wrongful sense of superiority within the community. And if we're honest with ourselves, I think we know something of what this is like. Either because we've in some way felt like we were superior to another person, because someone has at some point us feel inferior to them. So what contributes to this? Income, education levels where we live, politics, our ability to help, the superhero complex that we're there to save the day. What about our past, our history? 
our skin, the language that we speak, the fact that we feel like we have our lives together, or the fact that we don't feel like we have our lives together. I'm sure we can add many more things to this list. We're not above thinking that we're superior to others. Or perhaps for some of us, we found ourselves on the opposite side of that, feeling quite inferior in one reason or another. But here's the truth. We are all dead in sin. And God, by His grace, has given us one thing. He's given us one thing to boast in. The cross of Jesus. That the life that we live in Christ, we live in Christ. And we live it for Christ. So, if, if you're visiting today, or if you're, if you're here, you're here regularly, but you feel this is, this is true, or if you're visiting and you're, you're still trying to work out what you believe about Jesus, or you're watching and you're still trying to figure out what you believe about Jesus, or perhaps you've been burned by the church, you felt like the church has made you feel inferior in the past, I want to apologize because that's not how we should be living as the church. No one of us is better than another. We're sinners and we all need grace. And by his love and mercy, God has shown us that grace in Jesus Christ, who died for sinners, that we would be forgiven, and that we would not only be reconciled to him, to God, but that we would be reconciled to one another. So then the church is made up of sinners, saved by grace, who God empowers and seals by his spirit, which is why Paul can say that we can't dispose of anybody. We need everyone who God has sovereignly and providentially called to himself to be part of the body of Christ. Why? Because each one is of immense worth to God. And therefore they should be of immense worth to us. No better, no worse. All belonging to Christ. This is the beauty of the church in diversity. In his book, Finding the Groove, Robert Bellinas writes that improvisation is the willingness to live within the bounds of the past and yet search for the future at the same time. Improvisation is the desire to make something new out of something else. It is experienced in being open to letting the people around you have impact on what you are creating. Bellinas says this and then he goes on to tell a story about Whitney Marsalis who is the artistic director of jazz at the Lincoln Center for Performing Arts in New York City. Marsalis is a decorated individual, a Pulitzer Prize winner, the author of several books, and in the author's word, the man can play a mean, mean trumpet. So Galinas writes how on a Tuesday evening in late August of 2001, at the Village Vanguard in Greenwich Village, Marsalis was playing I Don't Stand a Ghost of a Chance with You on his trumpet without any accompaniment. And he neared the end of the song when a cell phone intruded into the drama of that moment. And a jazz critic that was sitting in the audience scribbled on a notepad, magic ruined. And people began to chat and talk. And Marcellus improvised. He played the notes of the cell phone ringtone, slow and fast, in different keys, and when all the ears were back on him, he seamlessly transitioned from
from the silly cell phone tune back to the mountain and finish the song. And in the words of the jazz critic, the ovation was tremendous. So as we turn now to just think about briefly how Paul's instructions here in 1 Corinthians 12 shape this local outpost of the body of Christ here in Kenneth Square, PCKS. I just want to ask one question. From where we stand right now, from where you stand as you observe the ministries of this church, are we able to improvise? Do our ministries have the ability, the elasticity, the range to let others come in and contribute their own unique God-given gifts to the mix? If not, if there's a logjam somewhere, then we do need to carefully rethink about how our ministries are to create room to utilize the gifts that God has blessed this congregation This might really mean bringing people in alongside of us as, as we're doing things that we're already doing. It might mean stepping down from doing a lot of things so that other people can step up. Perhaps it just means empowering people to begin new ministries, new groups of outreach for the gospel here and in the In all of this, we realize that, as Paul laid out in the very beginning, that God is sovereign over this, that he is the one who is organizing and bringing people in and out of this church, organizing the gifts that are present here. And he's not finished with this church. Right? We pray that he would not only grow this congregation in faith into deeper, into deeper commitment to walk with Jesus each and every day of our life, but to also grow our community. We pray that that community would reflect more and more the community of Kenneth Square where we are. But that means that as new people come in, as different people come in, they come uniquely equipped by the Spirit too for the building up of the church. That they're not like us. We need to be sensitive to how the Lord is working in our midst, how He is shaping this community here, and be willing to improvise, to change the way that we do things, to allow those gifts to impact gospel ministry here at PCPS and in So maybe the question is not do we have this kind of elasticity, this range, but can we have this kind of elasticity range? Can we improvise to allow diversity of gifts and diversity of people that, as, that God has brought into this congregation, that God will, by his providence and his sovereignty, continue to bring into this con congregation to shape and empower his kingdom can we have this sort of elasticity? Because this elasticity, it leads to the diversity that Paul talks about in the chapter. Where we are baptized in one spirit of God, united in God in that spirit. We're empowered to use our diverse gifts to display the beauty of Christ and his kingdom within the body, the church, and to the world. This is God's glorious design for the body of Christ, that we would display diversity Yes, in our community. So can we do that? Let me pray. Our gracious God, thank you again for your word. Thank you that you are the God who equips the saints in unique and diverse ways to display the full beauty and glory of Jesus and his worship to one another minister the gospel here in this 
about this passage and to think about its implications. What does that mean for ministry here in Penn Square, here at PCKS? Are we able to improvise? Can we? Lord, help us to be sensitive to the ways in which you are working in our midst, that our ministry would reflect the diverse group of people that you have brought here to this place, that we would best utilize the gifts present 